morning, RCC. If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to grab your Bible or you can download the Bible app and journey with us today as we begin our series right out of the book of First Peter. Now, we were excited about kicking off uh, our other series, Hero Maker, today and gathering together and, and having a lot of fun, but as reality would have it, we're, we wanted to shift and talk about something that we feel like would minister to your spirits, that would provide a sense of comfort. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be journeying together through the book of First Peter. And we're calling the series Living Hope uh, because it is one of the most dominant or more dominant themes uh, in the book of First Peter. And I think, believe it or not, you're going to identify with a lot of Peter's audience, even in the midst of us feeling scattered and exiled. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter writes these words, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exile scattered through the providence of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. What's interesting, I don't know if you caught it or not, but Peter addresses this group of Christians as being scattered. Well, to give you a little bit of background, the reality is that they probably feel the way that we do right now in the middle of this health crisis. They are scattered all over the Roman Empire. And by that, that means they're not home. They don't know the roads. Uh, they don't have a, a family meal that they can come home to. They need to develop and, and, and strengthen new friendships. They don't even know where Walmart is or Target is. It's a very unsettling, right, when you're far away from home and you have this sense that you're in exile and that you're scattered and you wonder when you can physically return home, but also you wonder emotionally, right? When will I have my sense of home come back to me? And the thing that Peter wants to share with us today that I want to share with you is this simple and beautiful truth. Then in the midst of this coronavirus, in the midst of us being quarantined, helping um, the least of these with social distancing, I want to say this to you. Hope has not forgotten you. Well, that's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe that hope is with us when our schedules are thrown out the window, when schools are shutting down, when work is telling us to work from home, or maybe you work an hourly job and your income has been suspended, maybe for a few weeks, maybe for a few months. And you hear this idea that hope has not forgotten you, but yet you wonder if that is true. And I'm here today to remind you, it is, that hope has not forgotten you. And I want to talk about how hope is relevant to our lives in the midst of having this sense that we are in exile, that we are scattered throughout our community, our country, and the world. And the first thing I'd like to share with you as a way of encouragement is simply this. Hope has not forgotten you even when you feel displaced, right? Th these are Christians scattered all throughout the Roman Empire, right? Different people, different languages, different um, uh, religious beliefs, philosophical beliefs, different restaurants, different roads to memorize, and they don't have a sense 
of home, they have been displaced. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt displaced or exiled or scattered? And home was not going to be home for maybe a few weeks for you, maybe a few months, maybe a year or two. And you can kind of connect, right, with that audience in the first century. For me, it was August of 2001, just a really two or three weeks before 9-11, actually. My mom, and dad, my mom and dad drove me down to Joplin, Missouri. I didn't even know that that place existed, from Cincinnati, Ohio. They dropped me off to begin my college career. I was a freshman at Ozark Christian College, beginning my journey to study how to be a pastor. And I remember them hugging me and kissing me and saying, you know, goodbye. And I think my dad gave me one more 20 so I could go to Walmart and buy, you know, whatever I might need, probably pizza rolls. And I remember watching them uh, drive off in the Mark III green van. I can still see it today. And being elated because for the first time in my life, I had complete and total, utter autonomy. I could do whatever I wanted. In three weeks, I was going to be 19 years old, and then I realized I don't know where Walmart is. I don't know where the gas stations are. I don't know the street names. I don't know the back roads when traffic gets tight like you do when you live in a community your entire life. I didn't have any friends. It was freshman initiation week. I didn't know anybody, and home was a 10-hour drive away from me. Well, nine hours with the way I drive. And I felt displaced. I felt scattered. And if I'm going to be honest and vulnerable, because why wouldn't we be? There were times when at night I would make sure my roommate was looking at his computer, throwing it way back. He was on AIM, Instant Messenger. And that little yellow guy would pop up, and I would just lay in my bed, put the sheet over my head, and there would be sort of this feeling of heartache and indigestion in my chest, I now know that it was anxiety and tears would begin to flow out of my eyes because I was in a different place and I wasn't home. I had friends back home in Cincinnati, uh, although not great, but I had a sports team (laughs) to root for. I had a great church that poured into me that really inspired me to go into ministry, and yet I found myself scattered from home. I missed my brother's birthdays. I miss key family moments, and that weighed on me over time. Have you ever felt scattered? Have you ever felt like you were in exile? I I, kind of sense we do right now. Although we are physically living in our homes or our apartments or wherever you call home is, but probably spiritually, emotionally, you you wonder when you're going to have that sense of home come back to you. I've wondered that. We've all wondered that. And it's really easy to lose out on hope, isn't it? When you're scattered, when you're flustered, when you find out your kids have two more weeks of spring break, and now you have to make up these lists that I see on social media to keep them occupied, right? It's hard to maintain that hope. And this is why I love the Bible. It's so human. It was difficult for Peter's audience to maintain hope. And like a good pastor, Peter reminds them to live in your hope, to not go back the way that you used to live. And you can see this scattered throughout his book in these little statements of encouragement. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, Peter writes, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. 
Don't go back to that way. Don't live at this level when you are living at this level, Peter says. In 1 Peter 1.18, he writes, For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you or your ancestors. Your hope is not in your 401k or your retirement account. Your wealth, your prestige does not save you, it does not redeem you, and it does not give you ultimate hope. And if I could share two more verses with you, in 1 Peter 2.10, he writes, once you were not a people, right? Like you, you were scattered, you were not a follower of Jesus, but now you are the people of God, even in the midst of your exodus and your exile and your feeling like you've been scattered across the Roman Empire or across our Salem community and surrounding areas. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In 1 Peter 4, 2-4, Peter writes, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time you spend enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, what other Roman citizens choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now listen to this. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And as a result of that, Peter writes, they heap abuse on you. It's really difficult to be physically and geographically scattered. It is for me. I, I wish we could physically gather together today as a church. But we want to honor our political leaders, our officials, and to be safe even for the least of these. But what's even harder is we live in a culture that finds no value and worth <laughs> in following Jesus. And so like us, even in the first century, it was weird for Roman citizens to see these Christians trying to figure out what does it look like to gather together when we're separated. I'm sure as it is for you, for maybe friends and family, neighbors or coworkers, really, you're trying to figure out how to do church online when you're scattered? Like, just sleep in. Watch something on Netflix. It doesn't matter. It, this will die down. You can go back to church. But it's important, isn't it, for us, RCC, to maintain a connection, whether that's in person or online digitally. And it's the same struggle the first century had, right? Not only were they scattered, they were among a people that worshipped many other gods, that valued money differently in relationships and, and taking advantage of other people. And yet, the, these Christians were in the midst of that. And Peter simply writes to them, hope has not forgotten you, even when you feel displaced. Hope has not forgotten you, RCC, even though in the midst of being a good citizen and caring for the least of these and feeling displaced, hope has not forgotten us. Also, hope has not forgotten us even when we feel like all is lost. There is a sense that if you follow Jesus, you're supposed to keep a smile and, you know, be a good person and just kind of take your hits as they come. But we're not good people. It's hard to smile consistently when we're in this sort of season. And so Peter reminds us that not everything is lost. And he reminds us 
by telling us the beautiful truth and reality of the gospel message. In verse 1 and 2, Peter writes, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providence of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Paul reminds us of the beautiful, loving relationship of God, which is to say of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter tells us in the first verse that we are God's elect, and yet we're in this reality right now with the coronavirus. We're scattered. And he's reminding us of this beautiful truth that before the creation of the world, our Heavenly Father was thinking about us. He knew that you and I would be born. He watched us be born in whatever way you were born, whether it was at home or at the hospital, whether your mom and dad took you home or maybe just your mom, or even if you were abandoned or given to an adoption agency, he saw that process and he watched you grow up. He watched the middle school years, <laughs> the high school years, and maybe for some of us, those regrettable college years. And, and he laid a pathway for us because he knew that we would settle for brands of hope lesser than what God himself provides for us. And the gospel message that Peter is reminding his audience, as he's reminding, as I'm reminding you today, is this. Listen to me, church. If our Heavenly Father thought of us at Genesis chapter 1, then he thought of us and we were on his mind at the end of the gospels, when Jesus, his only son, was dying on a cross for our sins. I don't know how I remember this, but when I was six or seven years old, my, my parents would often tuck us into bed at night and kiss our foreheads, and we we're maybe kind of that leave it to beaver family. We'd always pray at night, and my mom would ask us, hey, um, is there anything we could be praying about? Is there anything you want to tell Jesus? And, and my brother, my younger brother, I'm the oldest of three, so you will know where the story is going. My younger brother at the time said, uh, dear God, help mommy to have another baby. And I looked at Nathan and I said, are you kidding? There's two of us in this room already. There's no more room. We don't have enough room for another baby or testosterone <laughs> and fighting. And he kept asking, and he kept asking, and he kept asking, and as life and biology would have it, my mom and dad walked in the room one faithful evening, and my mom said to my brother, well, I guess God was listening to your prayers. We're pregnant, and we're going to have another baby boy. And I was just like, no, we can't. There's not enough room here. <clears throat> and so in the coming months during my mom's pregnancy, we rearranged the furniture we rearranged the furniture. We bought bunk beds. I got the top bunk uh, because I didn't put that prayer request in, but I wanted the top bunk. We painted, rearranged stuff, and I, I watched my mom and dad take a million trips to the store to prepare for the arrival of my little brother, Graham. You know, when I think about the Father and his love for us and how detail-oriented he is, 
that from the creation of the world and the rebellion of our ancestors and our forefathers, he still prepared a way for us to come home. That there's a space for us. Jesus even said it, that while I'm here for a while, I'm going to go away, but when I come back, I'm going to take you with me, and there's a place for you that my father, my dad, your dad, has prepared a place for you. Peter's saying, don't give up hope. If your heavenly father thought of you at the creation of the world, you're on his mind now in the midst of a season that, honestly, two to three weeks ago, we never thought we would be in. But it doesn't end there, friends, because God gives us his spirit. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes this little but powerful phrase. He says, through the sanctifying work of the spirit. This is where Peter begins to, uh, to, to, begin to differentiate Christianity among all other religions today in 2020, as well throughout the Roman Empire. You see, at some point, what we create, what we value, and what we hope in, whatever brand of hope that is, we're going to see if it actually comes through. If it's a theoretical idea, or if it's actually a real practical reality. You see, often in Rome, they would handcraft these gods with their own hands. You can read about one in the book of Ephesians. And then they would begin to worship it, and for some odd reason, they would get really upset when that god or goddess that they created with their own hands did not come through for them. Let me tell you something, church. Everybody, everybody has a brand of hope. Everybody has something that they're banking on when life is difficult, when there is a season of unrest. But here's the difference between our God, other gods in our culture today, and other gods in the Roman Empire. They will not. They will not come through for you. And Peter is reminding us in the first century that in seasons of exile, when we feel scattered, we feel uncertain, we don't know what's going to happen. Forget like a week from now. We're talking hour by hour. No, we're not. We're talking about minute by minute. Peter says our God is different. Our God sanctifies us. What does that mean? He sets us apart, and he begins to do a work in us in really difficult seasons, even the one that we find ourselves in, so that on the other end of suffering, we come out of it more mature in our faith, deeper in our understanding of God's word. That's why we're going to take a slow walk through the book of 1 Peter over the next couple of weeks. You probably picked up on that. We're, we, I'm literally only teaching on two verses today, right? And so you kind of get this sense that on the other side of suffering, according to Peter, there are Christians that will have a greater affection for Jesus, a deeper understanding of God's word and a maturity that they wouldn't have had this season of unrest never happened because who signs up to do the hard thing? Jesus does. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he says, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, he's talked about the Father. 
He's talked about the Spirit, how the Spirit sustains us and is sanctifying us, and our salvation happened when we were saved, but it's also happening now, and it will happen again. We'll receive the gift of our salvation on the other side of eternity. Now he's talking about the Son, and he, he, he words this verse very interesting. He says that we're to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. That's kind of gross, to be honest. That's kind of weird. What's he talking about? He's giving a head nod to their ancestors in the book of Exodus, verse 24, verse 8. When Moses writes, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. For a priest in the Old Testament, or a leader like Moses in the Old Testament, to sprinkle blood on people, or to sprinkle blood on an altar in the Holy of Holies in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, it was a prayer in and of itself. It was an act of God saying, God, we are wicked, sinful human beings. Will you not only forgive us, but will you give us mercy? Yeah, I think mercy is something that we want right now. Right? We want to know that it's going to be okay. We don't want to um, distance ourselves from other people. Right now, you're realizing just how important it is to touch another human being, to receive a handshake or a hug, and yet we're encouraged not to do that right now. You see, Peter closes out his greeting by talking about this beautiful idea that the Father loved us from the beginning, and he has not forgotten us now, that the Spirit sustains us on our journey between our salvation and meeting Jesus on the other side of heaven. And then he closes out this beautiful idea. Peter's reminding us of the covenant relationship we're in. And like every working relationship, two people have to work at it, right? And so one person has to hold their end of the deal, and the other person has to uphold their end of the deal, right? It's just kind of sort of how relationships work. They don't really last long if you're in a relationship with someone that you care about, but they don't show you that they care about you. And so Peter is reminding us about the covenant relationship that <clears throat> the Father has with us. So let me break it down for you real quick. On one end, Jesus is faithful to his end of the deal. He was faithful to the Father. He, he left heaven to come to earth and to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. So now it's up to us. How do we uphold our end of the bargain? Well, religion, <clears throat> which we're not a big fan of around here at RCC, would say, just be a good person, be moral, whatever that means, like whose standard of morality or ethics do we follow, right? Vote a certain way, part your hair a certain way, just be a nice person, and it'll all work out on the other side of eternity. But the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel is more honest with the human condition than we want to be with ourselves. This is what the gospel message says, and this is what Peter is telling the first century Christians scattered all throughout Rome, as I am telling you, as we are scattered all throughout our Salem neighborhood and surrounding communities, that Jesus upheld our end of the bargain over the relationship for us. How? Well, he honored the Father by going to the cross and being obedient, as Philippians 2 says, 
even to death on the cross. But what he did for us that we couldn't do, he lived a perfect life on our behalf because he knew that we could not do it. And so the beautiful message of the gospel is that Jesus himself is faithful to the Father and what the Father has asked him, and yet he is faithful to us even though we do not deserve it by living a perfect life on our behalf. And that is what makes Jesus' sacrifice, his blood that is sprinkled that Peter is talking about, acceptable to the Father because you must become what you want to save. And so God had to become one of us. But God didn't just have to become one of us. He had to live a perfect life because absolute perfection is demanded by a holy God. And Jesus took that burden off of our shoulders and took it on himself. That's why Paul or Peter can say, And that's what I can say as your pastor in full confidence. Hope has not forgotten you. Religion is not our hope. Our 401k is not our hope. Our hope is not in a dogma. Our hope is in a person. Jesus Christ himself, who before the creation of the world was going to be sent by the Father, to die for our sins, and to have his spirit sustain us in our journey with Jesus. Hope has not forgotten you, church. Jesus is in our midst. Friends, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And so if you have some crackers or a donut or, uh, you know, really holy communion, maybe you've got a slab of bacon Whatever that is, go ahead and grab that or, or pull it close to you if you have it already. And some juice or coffee. doesn't have to be bread or juice. It's, it's a symbol anyways. And we're going to take communion uh, together, church. And we're going to remind ourselves of the beautiful reality of what Jesus did for us. Not just a one-time event, but hope in the midst of what we feel like is an exile. What we feel like is us being scattered. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22, Peter writes these words, Though you were alienated from God, once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds, you thought that God did not love you for what you did. Religion is a great way to have a guilt trip, isn't it? But because of your evil behavior, but now he, Jesus, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Friends, here's the beautiful truth and the reality of the gospel is this, that Jesus ultimately is our exile. That Jesus ultimately was crucified outside of the city of Jerusalem, away from home, away from heaven, away from the Father. All of his friends left him. Everybody that he thought would be for him, they all scattered, they all ran, thinking that if I associated my life with Jesus, I'm going to be next. I'm going to get arrested by the Roman officials, and I'm going to be crucified. But friends, we can rest in this beautiful reality that while we live in a season of uncertainty, 
maybe even fear and panic. Jesus is our living hope because Jesus came to be exiled on our behalf and for our sins. Let us take communion together and I'll close with the word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much for this beautiful reality that you, in fact, are our living hope. And though we may be in a season where we feel like we're scattered, maybe nervous, wondering how our job is going to pan out, our income's going to pan out, our family's going to pan out, would you remind us what is most true about this reality we live in called life? That there is a living hope that will always come through for us, even in the midst of our exile, even in the midst of us feeling like we are scattered right now. And it's not an idea, a philosophy, or even a religion or a dogma. It is the person of Jesus. May we not go back to our old ways as Peter warns us, but to move forward in hope because we are the people of God. There are so many people around us and, 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 and news anchors and sports analysts that while we're in the season of waiting, all they can do is look back. But we are the people of God and in a season of waiting and a season of a medical crisis, we don't look back. We look forward to our living hope and we take communion together celebrating that full confidence of that reality that Jesus is our living hope.